Welcome to the Wraparound Love Podcast, where you will hear the very difficult stories behind why people make the choices that they do. As we share these stories, you will be inspired by how the love of God transformed each person's life when individual Christians chose to consistently engage by simply being someone who gave what we call wraparound love. Welcome to the third episode of the Wraparound Love podcast. This is a 10-episode podcast, and the whole purpose of this podcast is for people to begin to understand how you can really impact other people's lives by just loving them where they're at. And we're doing that by sharing the story of Barbara Robinson, who lives in North Omaha. And Barbara's here once again with me today. Hi, Barbara. Hi. Are are you still enjoying this? Yes, I am. That's good. Barbara and I are very good friends. We know each other very well. And so as we go through this episode, we're going to be asking some difficult questions. It might make you a little bit uncomfortable, um, but that's okay. Know that we trust each other and uh, we've really made the decision that it's important to understand the depth of this story and to kind of go beyond our discomfort, um, but then also to see how God intersects in um, really the deepest part of our pain. Mm -hmm. And so today we're going to pick up where we left off. So in episode two, Barbara shared um, about a lot of kind of the loneliness and abandonment that she experienced as a child. Barbara, do you just want to summarize a little bit just your experience, how you experienced your mom as a child, what it was like growing up with a mom who was addicted to drugs? It was really hell. It was torment. My mother was verbally and physically abusive. And when she wasn't on drugs, she was almost quiet to a neglectful state. She just didn't have much to say. After I grew up and went through some things myself because of addiction, I could understand her quietness. Your shame. Your shame. Maybe she worried of bills, of what she didn't remember, who she hurt, because those are the things that I had in my mind. So living with my mother was a was a torment. But once I got older, I kind of saw life through her eyes, and I was able to understand her. Yeah, and we talked about that, and we're going to talk about that in future episodes, too. It's just, it's kind of amazing how adult experience, you can grow empathy for your torturer. Mm-hmm. So the time period we want to talk about today is kind of in your, through your elementary years, you kind of maintained some innocence because you you were able to spend a lot of time with your grandma and you had hope that maybe somehow your life would turn out different. Uh, do you want to describe kind of that innocent hope you had as a child? I really, like I said, I really thought that I lived on TV and... I just wanted to know when was the channel going to be turned? Uh, Where's the end of the stage? I'll never forget the day that I was walking to school one day 
and I just re- I just came to the realization that this is not TV. This is this is real life. This is really how my life is. And though I was innocent, I had already by the time I'd been in the eighth grade, I was already a sexual victim of a family member and of an older guy that lived in the neighborhood that was molesting all of the younger children in the neighborhood. Can we pause right there? You know, one thing you and I have talked about kind of what's, quote, normal and not normal in the neighborhood you grew up in and the neighborhood that you still live in. And I think for me, what has been so shocking is that it really is normal where you grew up to be sexually abused, assaulted as a child. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about that just in general for your neighborhood? Out in the neighborhood, uh, there was this older guy who rented out a basement of one of our friends, and he would give us a little money out of his coffee can to allow him to rub himself on us or lick us, touch us, even the little boys. And what gets me as an adult is that after a while, I mean, we used to rush to get to his house to get this money. You know, we we knew it was wrong, but we didn't feel like he was violating us. Why is that, do you think? I think because we were getting money. We didn't have money. We were poor. We didn't have money to go right around the corner to the corner store. And buy something. We didn't have that. Where were the adults that should have been protecting? The person who housed that was, I believe she was always at work. And everyone who lived in that neighborhood practically was raised. In, and my mother was raised in that neighborhood. So everyone kind of thought that it was safe in that neighborhood. Like no outsider came in and kidnapped us or harmed us. You know, everybody thought it was safe in that neighborhood. There was just a predator. And then there were some of us who had older siblings or older cousins who may have been molested, maybe by this guy or someone else who in turn molested us, which caused me to not trust anyone as an adult. Everyone I thought was out for something. And I think that's why I, I I left my kids at home all the time together because I didn't trust anyone to uh, babysit them. Yeah. So we're going to talk about your kids specifically in, in that time frame coming up in another couple episodes. Mm-hmm. For now, you're an eighth grader and in your life as a 13-year-old, and I really want our listeners to take this in. And, and what I'm about to say, this, this is not, again, abnormal for experiences that kids in Barbara's neighborhood had. So you're 13 years old. You've been sexually abused by two different people, one including a relative. Your mom is a drug addict. You are 
in and out of your grandma's house, which is where you want to be, but your mom uses that to her advantage to basically force her to give her money for her drugs. Mm -hmm. So you become a pawn Mm -hmm. in your mom and your grandma's relationship. And building up inside of you are feelings of what? Anger. Anger is coming out. Rage, wanting to be able to control my life. It just just would have anger. And no matter what, my mother was my grandmother's daughter. So even though my grandmother would protect me and wanted to keep me from my mother, she still wanted to protect and keep her daughter. So every time my mother needed her or my mother needed to come to my grandmother's house, to lay down or anything. My grandmother allowed her to. Sometimes it would just anger me, make my skin crawl because of the way my life was going because of her. Or I would be nervous that when she wakes up, is she going to want to start on the binge again? And if not, if so, is is she going to play this tug of war with my grandmother? I just decided, you know, um, one day, you know, I started doing little sneaky things like, I'm not supposed to be on the phone with boys. I'm sneaking on the phone with boys. Uh, I'm not supposed to be on the phone past a certain time. As soon as my grandmother go to sleep. Now, I slept in the bed with my grandmother till I was 14. And as soon as my grandmother go to sleep, I'm sneaking the phone downstairs to talk again on the phone to boys. And I just decided one day, instead of coming home from school, I'm going to go to this basketball game. From that game on, my life changed. What happened at that basketball game? And this this is your introduction into the gang life. Yeah. So so what happened? I went to this game, and it was a regular game. You know, it was a lot more people there than normal, and I, I didn't really understand why or pay attention at the time. And, and this was Crips and Bloods wasn't in Omaha yet. These were gangs that— What, what year was this about? Uh, probably like— 86, 87. Okay. These were gangs who would go out and dance together and wear the same shirt and woo the girls together or woo the boys together, you know, and they and if they had to fight, they'd fight together. So here come, you know, after the basketball game, neighborhood boys that I knew from my area called business boys, they got into this big old fight with these boys called Lords of Violence. And the Lords of Violence was from the Pleasant View Projects. At that time, I didn't know that. I didn't even know these projects existed. And I literally stayed on 17th Street, and the projects was on 30th Street. But I still didn't know they existed. And these boys, they were fighting. One of them had a a little cowboy gun, and another one had knives. And they were shooting and stabbing, and I was excited. So why did that excite you? I don't know. I do not know. Maybe because they were conquering or they were, it seemed like they was in authority or something. Their aggression there, it just excited me. You connected with the idea of all of this anger and rage that you had, there was a way to focus it? I didn't know at that time. I just knew, I just knew that I was excited and I, I'm watching (laughs) I'm watching the fight and I'm looking for the cutest one. Which one do I think is the cutest one? Because people have told me that I'm cute. I'm a very pretty girl with long, pretty hair. So I'm going to be their girlfriend. That's what I thought. And I 
told somebody that I wanted to be the leader's girlfriend. And when they gave the number to the leader, the leader called me and invited me to a party that I had to, I want to go stay at my mom's house. Because if I stay at my mom's house, I got way more freedom than at my grandma's. So I go to my mom's house so I can go to this party. And the leader is not who I thought it was. (laughs) I'm looking like, oh no. So I told the person, no, it's not, that's not him that I want. I want him. And by the end of the night, I ended up with the person who I wanted to. And um, I was, I was a virgin of willing sex. I had already been molested, but I hadn't had sex with anyone else. So you had been raped. Yeah. But now this is the first time you're having sex as a choice. Yeah, not not at that time. It took me a while to have sex with him. So you just you just kind of dating, I'm talking yeah. to him, talking to him on the phone and things like that. And I think that happened for about a year and then we broke up. We just was two different worlds, two different. And then I hear that he's got a lot of money now. There's people from California and he's selling drugs and I called him on the phone and he asked me to go back with him. And we were literally. How old are you at this point? 15, 15 years old. We were literally renting hotel rooms, sleeping in hotel rooms, having hotels. It was called the Travel Lodge, Econo Lodge. We were literally just living in these hotels. I never. So hold on. You're 15 years old. Yeah. And so he has all this money because he is selling drugs. And he's 15 too. He's 15 too. And he had one kid and one kid on the way. But not your kid. No. Okay. So you're 15. Like, where's the adult in your life? You're just running around staying in hotels. I I have 15 year olds. There's no way that's going to happen. Well, my mother and my grandmother would drive to the neighborhood and they'd pick me up and then they'd bring me back home and then I'd just leave. Uh, One time my grandmother boat locked me in her house (laughs) so I couldn't leave while she went to work. I just would cut the screen and go out the window or let him come in and we'd just have sex all day until it's time for her to come. And I, I was just able to do whatever, whatever I wanted to do. That's why a lot of times I tell kids, just because you can do what you whatever you want to do, don't mean that you do always do the bad thing. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was doing everything bad to ruin my life, ruin everything. So, you know, in some ways you can see like, wow, you're a 15 year old. You have access to money. You can do whatever you want. At this point, are you using drugs? Yeah, we were drinking. We were mixing Everclear with a drink called Brass Monkey. And we were taking the crack that we would sell and we were sprinkling it on top of marijuana and smoking it. Okay, so you're 15. Are you internally feeling good about yourself? Like, I'm on top of the world. What's your headspace during this time? Honestly, I never really felt a part of. I always felt like I had to work extra hard to prove myself, to show myself. This young man had a baby and a baby on the way by one female. They And they were both the same age as me. She was just a year older than us. And his mom used to allow her to stay the night at their house. So I felt like I had to give him more sex. They were a part of a gang. So I felt like I had to fight harder because I came from being square. I didn't know 
really my way around the project. So I had to learn it. I had to make myself be this person who I wasn't. And the morals and the standards that my grandmother taught me, I had to get drunk and high to stuff those. I couldn't bust out people's windows as we were walking or hanging out or trip somebody at the mall or get smart with an adult or something at the mall being sober. I couldn't do that because my grandmother didn't raise me that way. I was raised in church. I just couldn't do it. And so I had to pour the world into me. I I had to fill myself up with the world. When you would do these things that were really against who you were, and then you'd wake up the next day and start to think about what you did, what would you say to yourself? At first, I'd feel bad. And I'd be like, man, what, what am I doing? And i got to go. He, he's totally a cheater. I, I, I didn't know that at the point. But I'm wondering, is he having sex with that girl and his mom is letting her stay at his house? You know, th- this is what I'm thinking. And he's telling me no and... I'm like, well, got to stay in this neighborhood because I got to be here and I got to help take care of the neighborhood. I got to be this hard female. I got to do this and I don't want to go home. And my mom, on the other hand, now she has taken me totally back and she's kind of in support of this lifestyle that I'm living because I give her money. I buy her beer, buy her her weed, pay uh, bills for her and things like that. Again, I was a pawn for her. After a while, she stopped trying to get me from out in the streets. For those of us who didn't grow up in the gang life, such as myself, (laughs) when you say take care of the neighborhood, two questions. One, kind of what was your job, your responsibility in the gang? And then you've talked before to me about the feeling of you finally belong to something. In other cities, gangs were way more organized than it is in North Omaha. A gang that is well organized in North Omaha is flourishing with money. They are, you know, because they're treating the gang as a business and not as a a war zone. At this point... And the business is selling drugs? Selling drugs, doing whatever. Nowadays, a lot of gang members or former gang members, former gang bangers, um, because they'll always be labeled as a gang member, but former gang bangers are no longer selling drugs. They're Some of them got their CDLs. Some of them, you know, they're doing different right. things after a while. When I was in there, I lived in this house across the street from these projects, these Spencer projects, and they're still there. The city made the street in front of us a one-way. And my job, it wasn't that somebody told me this was my job. It was just, this is understood. Nobody from the other gang was to come down in that neighborhood or use our store. We better not catch them at the store up the street. Is it an actual store? Yeah. What would they buy? Liquor, candy, whatever. Okay, wait. There was a store that was owned by your gang. No, it was owned by other people. But your gang, that was your... It was in our area. Okay. And so the opposite people could not come there. And if they did, they wouldn't park on the side. They'd park in front and they hurry up and get their stuff and leave. Because if we come around there and see it, it's going to be a big problem. Because that's your territory. Yeah. 
And the same for their area. Right. There's a liquor store. The one on 30th is still there. It's called Daly's. And that was ours. And the one on 16th was the Bloods. And it's no longer there anymore. But you just don't go in other people's territory. There's still stores in North Omaha where certain sets can't go. So at this point, they're the Crips. Yeah. So the Crips, that's a national gang. Yes. Like, how did that work? That all of a sudden... These dudes just came in from out of town. It was like they knew what to do. They knew to come to the projects, to the low-income area, and they were like, this is how you sell it. This is what you get. This is what I want. We went from wearing pro wings to wearing Nikes. All of that. It was just amazing. And then hotels was $70 a night. It's crazy because there used to be this thing called a jitney. We would call it a a ghetto taxi. So you just call this little rundown house where you could get liquor after one o'clock. And you can also call and ask for a car. And they'd send the car to your house. And the car would take you where you need to go and you pay them a flat fee. And it's crazy because now they got Ubers and Lyfts like that. Like they kind of took what we do in North Omaha (laughs) and legalized it. (laughs) Put our jitneys out of business. You were a female gangbanger. Yeah. I've heard you described as one point as, quote, the number one female gangbanger in North Omaha. A crip for the Crips, yeah. For the Crips. How did you ascend? I used to just fight a lot. So you just beat people up? Yeah, just fight a lot. Didn't have no conscience. No feelings, just fight. So you said no conscious, no feelings, but you explained to us that you did. At what point did that get turned off? The more I woke up and the more um, my conscience was trying to eat at me, the more I got high, the more I drank, the more I stuffed, the more I got high, the more I drank, the more the Holy Spirit was saying something to me, the more I drowned them out. That's just as honest as I could be. I just drowned them out, and now I'm just going to sleep. I'm passing out, falling asleep, and I'm waking up, and I'm getting ready for the streets. And when you're out there, days go into weeks, go into months, and you still think it's today. Wow. And anybody that's listening, anybody that you know that is addicted, their days and weeks and months, it stands still. Because it doesn't seem like it's that much time in the day because you're just constantly chasing. And you enjoyed beating people up. It released something. Thinking of all the things we've talked about with your childhood. Yeah, I, I believe that it gave me some release from my mother. It helped that little girl from that family member who used to follow me around the house all the time begging for sex. When you were six years old. Yeah, I was so young. From that old man uh, realizing it. And then realizing that there was another old man, but he never did anything to me. I used to just see some friends go over there, but I never went over there. The gang gave you... Release. Release. It gave you a community. It gave you money. It gave you what we talked about in the last episode that you felt like you didn't have, which was security. Yeah. And it's crazy because I thought 
that it was giving me these things, but really it was taking those things away. Yeah. And I think we're going to end here today. And and then in our next episode, we're going to start to talk about really going from gangbanger into the addiction, controlling your life, having kids, the impact on that. So I think this is a good place to stop. So Barbara, as we close, I just want to ask you one question. As you look back on that time and you talked about that you felt like you just kept trying to drown out the Holy Spirit. You kept trying to drown out God, trying to get your attention. As you look back now, where do you see God in that time frame? (laughs) Carrying me, shaking his head, saying, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans of hope and of a future. When you think about that teenage girl and you look at your life now, do you think anybody could ever imagine that that hurt, desperate, angry, drug-addicted, used and abused teenage girl could become a very functioning, godly woman? No, but he did. <laughs> he did. He did. He did. So we ask you to join us for our next episode, and you're going to hear, we're going to talk about when Barbara starts having kids, um, but she's still addicted to drugs. The next one's going to be a hard episode, but it's really an important part of your story. So thank you, Barbara, again, for sharing. Thank you to everyone for listening. We hope you join us for episode four. 